Hello, welcome to the Trade Routes podcast. I am Raleigh Aaron. I'm Maddie Kosh. And I'm Brooke Gamble, and I think we should just jump into the questions for our podcast today and what we are going to be addressing. Raleigh, you can go first. Uh, so our first question is, what inventions were created to make trade more efficient? And for the Indian Ocean trade route, trade routes, um, they're primarily on sea, like not really on land. So most of the inventions had to do with uh, sea transportation. So you have the Dihau ship and the Latin sails, which make it possible to sail against the wind. And uh, that's a real big one because now you don't have to wait for the winds to change for trade. You can just kind of go whenever you want. And then you have the stern post rudder, uh, which makes it really easy to turn ships. And that helps a lot. And you see that used primarily in China with their junk ships and um, stuff like that. Yeah, I can't imagine how, like, I guess, time-consuming or how time-efficient it would be to, like, not have to wait for the winds to change anymore. Yeah, you can just go whenever you want now, so... Yeah, that's useful. Okay. Okay, so in the Trans-Saharan routes, we have the Astrolabe. I don't know if I said that right, but it's a device that um, that tells a timer location, and it's really important if you're on if you're on a trade route and it just uses the stars and sun and other celestial bodies to see where you are. And another big one is um, the camel saddle. So the South Arabians made a camel to ride the back of the hump more comfortable. Just in like each type, like each South and Northern, they made different types of saddles because they had different types of camels like the northerns northern arabians they made it they made it saddled to ride on the top of the hump and the somalis they made it to help carry loads and more goods that's interesting because actually when i was researching i saw the astrolabe thing um it was diffused to europe and also used there so i guess that's an example of knowledge being diffused and translated um for the silk roads i know a really big thing that caused a lot more efficiency in trade and just commerce in general was the diffusion of paper money and just kind of instead of having to use coins and they didn't have to carry around all these coins and stuff and that i guess that was like hindering trade but also the bills of exchange which was really like the first like promise of money i guess that has ever created i wonder if that like stemmed debt i wonder if debt came from promising money but not paying it on the spot because i know banking houses allowed for bills of exchange to happen so i just think that's really interesting because we see the first i guess kind of like ancient iou for money that we haven't really seen before and that concludes inventions that we can really think of from our research. Hey you guys, so we're back with our next topic starter and today is what what did religion play, like what kind of role and what kind of impact did religion have on trade? Because I mean you think about it, it's like commerce is trade, like why would religion have anything to do with but I think there are a lot of ways religion ties into it. And Maddie, I think you can start us off here. Okay, so 
In the Trans-Saharan trade routes, Islam was spread in North Africa mainly because of the caravans, and uh, it was spread along the trade routes. They were just spreading their word, and most of the time, if they did not, most of the time, if they didn't voluntarily convert, they were most of the time forced into converting into Islam because they wanted their word to be spread the most. I'm just wondering on how, okay, because I remember during a few lectures of a WAP teacher I had, um, <laughs> they were talking about ways of conversion. Like, what do you think about, like, the tax and, like, the enslavement? I honestly, I think it's actually pretty smart that they made the way where they would tax them if they weren't that certain religion. And I just thought it was a cool, just cool way that they did it. Sorry, that was just some background noise. And... <laughs> I think I have a few words to say on my trade route and religion. Religion, religious syncretism was kind of a big thing on my trade route because it was just so large and stretched across so many regions, just like India, a lot of Southeast Asia, Central Asia, just so many cultures and stuff to be discovered. And I know one time when I was researching Marco Polo, when word got back about the Mongols and their religions, Pope Innocent Four attempted a Christian conversion of Mongols, Mongols on the Silk Route through friars. Like he sent friars and tried to convert them to Christianity. But I don't know. I guess that's an optimistic view of him. And then Marco Polo also, when he traveled back, he was the first person to visit Burma. And Buddhism is practiced a lot in Burma. And he bought the Buddhist beggar's bull and the Buddhist toe. So that's really kind of like one of Europe's first introductions to Buddhism. And I think that just has a lot of significant impact. What do y'all think about that? Uh, yeah, like in the Indian Ocean, um, Islam just like kind of like took off by wildfire because, um, and especially in like the Strait of Malacca, uh, they started using the jizya, which is like the tax on people who are not uh, Muslim. And so more people wanted to trade with uh, the caliphate. And so um, you had a lot more people converting for easier trade and less tax purposes. That's really interesting how they just kind of, I guess, still like found a loophole in their religion where they treated everyone equal, but at the same time... Like, not really. Yeah. Yeah, they made it, them believe they were being treated equal. Yeah. That's an interesting take on that. Finally, we're going to get into some personal feature stories, basically. It's just who were some famous explorer, explorers on our trade routes. And I think there are so many for all of ours. And yeah, so I'll just start off. I think a really underrated um, group of explorers that aren't really considered as explorers, maybe, were the caravans. They were basically, or like the merchants um, that just traveled along the whole trade route because they really did, they were some of the only people that directly went from like Europe to Asia because you know they talk about how nobody from Europe or anybody from Asia like directly traded with Europeans or Asians and I think they were like the only people that did that and I think that was very useful and maybe overlooked as just like, I don't know. And then another big one everybody knows about Silk Roads is Marco Polo, of course. And he was from Venice. He was a merchant and adventurer. He journeyed into Central Asia. And he was one of the first people to account on how China was when it was under Mongol rule. He spent 17 years there. 
and a lot of his writing worked on culture, geography, religion of areas that were previously not really traveled. And his famous book, which I apologize for pronouncing wrong, is Divesement de Monde, published in 1298, famously known as The Travels of Marco Polo. And he encouraged a lot of European ventures out into unknown territories when the Europeans were kind of in the dark about Central Asian stuff. And this just encouraged them to want to buy some of their stuff. Like, and he brought back luxury goods as proof, like jade, porcelain, and silk and stuff. And a lot of maps of Asia were based on his description until Christopher Columbus voyages. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Raleigh, what are some famous explorers in your area? Um, so the real big one in mine is uh, Zhang He. And he was a eunuch under the Ming Empire. And he created um, these treasure ships for China that were four times as big as the ship Christopher Columbus would have sailed on. And he would take hundreds of these ships and just load them up with uh, luxury goods and then just go to India or um, Arabia and uh, just sell all their goods. And it really like kicked off their China's trade with luxury goods. And uh, is also like a show of force from China. like. Because, like, it would have been pretty much like a floating city with, like, hundreds of these ginormous ships and uh, really kicked off China's trade. So, in the Trans-Saharan trade routes, in Batuta, he was the most famous explorer of their time. So, he was also a geographer and a scholar, and he wrote the Rahala. Don't know if that's pronounced right. It's spelled the R-I-H-L-A. And it pretty much just describes the people, religions, cultures, and traditions that he saw along the trade routes. Because he traveled with the caravans and just, like, experienced just everything that he saw. And a lot of the things he was not used to because the way that, like, cultures diffused, it was all, like, syncretized differently than what he was used to. Yeah, I think explorers and people who ventured out and, like, times where they didn't really have the internet they couldn't tell what they were going out into are really so valuable and useful to historians now to just tell how structure was back then all right so our next big question for this podcast is what role did the environment and culture play in your trade route and for the uh, indian ocean the big one is monsoon winds which were very strong and predictable winds that uh, were so predictable that they could narrow it down to the best week and even day for merchants to travel. Um, And that's very important because that ensures your goods don't spoil on the way and that you'll get to your destination very quick. And also a way culture really influenced the trade was uh, the Muslim traders from uh, the caliphate were more likely to trade with you if you were also Muslim. So that led to like mass conversion in Southeast Asia. Um, As far as biological diffusion, there were a lot of settlements set up on the uh, Swahili coast of Africa from uh, the Abbasid Caliphate. Um, And they started trading ivory with everyone. Um, But that's really it for that. And then there are um, 
Um, that's interesting. So I guess Maddie can talk about hers now. Okay, so the environmental impact in the Trans-Saharan trade, it was more of like a sandy environment because they were mainly located in the desert. But that was the main pool to get camels instead of horses because they were better with um, sand because their, their nostrils were a lot smaller and their eyes, like just everything was better for that environment with the camels. And it also limited them on what they could trade. But something that was good for trading was the bananas. It was really well adapted to the environment and it made the food supply increase. And it, en- it enriched many diets and um and that caused like a push or a pull for pop i cannot speak population growth for population growth and um also salt and gold was another big impact because since they were limited on what they could trade food wise they had to find other resources and salt was a big one because it was spices, and that was a, just a really big deal because most of the food was very bland. <laughs> and gold was a good resource because um, it wasn't something that they had to grow. They just had to dig and find it. And uh, gold and salt was one of the main reasons for slave trade. Um, they used them to harvest gold, and they traded along the Zanji coast with gold and ivory. And I don't know if I said Zanji right. It's spelled Z-A-N-J-I. But just the environment was a really big impact on everything that they traded and um, just everything. Yeah, that's interesting. There's, like, a lot to unpack in the question of, like, culture and environment and For mine, for biological diffusion, they spread the Mongols, I know this, um, the Europeans got the Black Death, like the plague from Europe, and it was spread on the Silk Roads from the Mongols, and gunpowder, which was like used in many military weapons, explosives, and at first fireworks, it kind of just changed the way a lot of wars were fought and aided in many empires' expansions. And another thing is heavenly horses. They were a superior breed of horses traded, and so when they were traded, that just made, I guess, (laughs) a lot more stuff efficient in carrying and just um, animals. And then, yeah, they supplied animals that they had not previously had that could lead to crops. And another thing is increased nutrition because a lot of things were traded like spinach, pistachios, and peaches, things that they did not have before that could have lengthened their lifespans. And for environmental impact, um, one of the things could be champa rice traded from Vietnam, which allowed rice to be grown twice a year, which really just made population growth just exponential. And that also led to like urbanized cities and stuff. And with political stability, uh, it allowed focus on things like agriculture, which led to developments like irrigation. And then there's, for economics and stuff, there's flying cash, which was basically um, just paper money. And then banking houses, which relates to economic stuff, was just, we can still see it in like our banking system today. Like they still use that and stuff. 
And for some more obscure cultures that we don't see as much, the diasporic communities of Kashgar and Samarkand. Um, Samarkand in today's Uzbekistan, which was the heart and core of selling and buying and exchange of culture. And the Sogdians originated in these regions, which were kind of just random, <laughs> random um, cultures and stuff. And um, also spread on the trade route was developments of like mathematics and science. And I'm sorry for going on so much. There's just so much to unpack. Um, like the concept of zero was spread on here. And a lot of Greco-Roman knowledge was spread to Europe and medical advancements and translated into Arab, Arabic and then into Latin. Um, um, the Arabic numerals and all that stuff. And then um, the Sogdians, which... I already mentioned them, but I just remembered a thing from my research. Sogdian script was a foundation for a calligraphy of Turks, Mongols, and Manchus, and that had a severe cultural impact. And then the Karavansarai, which were just like inns and hotels, were kind of just a culture of like, we're all in this together. I mean, I guess that could be a reach, but I think it was cool how everyone stayed together and just volunteered. And then... Things like luxury goods, like porcelain, jade, ivory, silk, just were a sign of wealth in Europe. And yeah, people bought them to, I guess, look rich. And that could be a sign of their culture. A few more lesser known examples of cultural and environmental impacts is like how the Persian Arab communities in East Africa, they pretty much provided slaves for like the gold and salt slaves and the ones that provided ivory. And they were just mainly along the Persian Gulf. So that was, it was just a really good way to transport them and just a good spot to transport and import them. Um, and then the diasporic communities, it was mainly just communities that were brought together due to natural disasters or they were brought together with their political beliefs. And so, like, communities, they would be brought together if they believed in, like, Muslim beliefs or Islamic beliefs. And then with the defeat of the Mongols, the Mamluks, I don't know if I pronounce that. It's spelled M-A-M-L-U-K-S. It's just pretty much how they defeated the Mongols in the Battle of Ain Jalut, and they saved Egypt and Islam from the Mongols overexpanding, and it was just led by the Qutuks, Q2s. It's kind of hard to pronounce, but yeah. Okay, well that about wraps up our overview of the trade routes and all of our hard work put in to our research and this was Raul here Maddie Kosh and Brooke Gamble and we are signing off and thank you so much for listening